Welcome to the Catastrophic Comeback Podcast with American injury lawyer Clark Speaks, helping you find hope, purpose, and joy after a catastrophic injury. Uh, so, and then uh, let me ask you this uh, doing things outside of work that are inconsistent with your restrictions, how can that impact a worker's compensation claim? You know, more and more insurance companies and defense firms are performing surveillance. Okay, and we try to warn people up front that that's a possibility so that they know that somebody could be just watching them to see what they're doing. And we give our new clients a handout that says, you know, they're watching you, basically telling, giving them hints or advice on how they should conduct themselves, not only on social media, but out in the public, right? But what I tell people all the time is as long as you're doing what the doctor told you to do and you're not doing anything that the doctor told you not to do, then we're okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is is interesting about catastrophic cases in particular in a workers' Mm -hmm. compensation context is that it's kind of the way, like it seems like to me in a smaller case, sometimes they'll, uh, a, a, an employer will sort of, and the funny, the one thing that's worth noting, I think, is it's never the employer. You could have a great relationship mm-hmm. with your employer for 20, 30 years. The minute you get hurt, somebody else takes over the management of your claim that you have never met before and works right. for an insurance company. And they don't know you. They don't know how hard you've worked and the sacrifices right. you've made for this company, and they don't care. That's not their job. Their right. job is to mitigate loss. Right. I think that's something people don't understand. They think they're still working for mm-hmm. Joe or Sarah or, or right. Alex or whatever that they've worked with for years, and they've taken been to their house, and they've been to dinner with them and, 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 and all that and spent time with them, and they don't recognize how, how important that is to, rec- to realize that you're dealing with a different, different group of people now. Right. But one of the things that I think is, is different about catastrophic cases is that in a catastrophic case, a lot of times the insurance companies will start off very attentive, very, very dedicated, very much recognizing, okay, there's no way we can get out of this. This was a serious injury. Right. This person was hurt at work. We are on the hook, and we are going to immediately – Get them good care. Get them to a, in a helicopter where they need to go. Get them to a, a, a specialist. Get them, and 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 then, in a in a in a less serious context, I don't see them necessarily rushing to do those things. Well, I yeah. have my theories. T- tell me what you think is going on there. You know, the insurance company has a job to do, and. We in this field, we don't like it, right? But their job is to spend as much, as little money as possible and to get you back to work as fast as they possibly can, right? So that's why nurse case managers get involved and ask doctors, well, can this person have light duty? What can they do? Can we get them back to work? When are you going to release them from work? So, you know, it's really, it's, it's just, it's a toss-up on how these folks are, are going to handle our client's case, you know. Um, things are going to go wrong, you know. You're going to have good adjusters who are going to do everything right. You're going to have 
adjusters who are less cooperative, who are not going to do everything as quickly as you want them to. Might be a more aggressive on the part of of controlling costs and reducing costs and, and, and limiting exposure. Well, that's tr yeah, that's true. But um, what I was leaning towards was, you know, all right, this person was referred to a doctor two weeks ago, and we're still waiting for you to give us an answer. And how much longer is it going to take? Because the longer you wait to approve medical treatment, it's really going to cost them more in the long run. Right. Not to mention our client is in or a per, an injured person um, is in pain and is, is being deprived of medical treatment that they need. Uh, the th one of the things that I notice is is that uh, in these catastrophic cases, they'll start off by being very attentive mm -hmm. and they'll get them everything that they need. And then gradually later over time, they'll start pulling back and pulling back and pulling back mm -hmm. from providing these these services. Maybe they'll cut from one, two attendants in a catastrophic case to one attendant. Maybe they'll go from around-the-clock care to eight-hour care. Maybe they'll go from, you know, this many medical devices to fewer medical devices, mm -hmm. those types of things. And, and what, what what's going on there? Is, it more, is there more to it than just there, you know, what, what are they trying to do there? Well, I mean, Listen, somebody falls off a roof and breaks their back, the insurance company knows that they're going to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on this person. They know they're on the hook. They, are no, they know they're going to spend a whole bunch of money, and there's not so many ways that they can really cut those costs. So they look to the doctors or they try to scan the doctor's records to say, okay, well, maybe he doesn't need 24-hour care or maybe he can do with one person. It's our job in those cases, and I, I think that we've been – Number one, I think we've been fortunate with our catastrophic cases that we've had really cooperative and empathetic adjusters, right, where they really get it that this was a life-changing event. Um, but we have had situations where they tried to cut down care and where we had to go back to the doctors um, and... and and use the nurse case managers and use the doctor's notes to say, this is why this person still needs this care. Um, and, and we have been very fortunate and we've been successful in making sure that our clients have the proper care that they need, regardless of what the insurance companies are trying to do. You mentioned um, that in workers, in, in these catastrophic cases, we've been very fortunate to deal with some, uh, even on the other side, <clears throat> Attorneys and insurance adjusters mm -hmm. who are who are pros and they have been in many cases reasonable, professional, honorable. Um, I think that's an important thing to to recognize. Uh, and I think that that, that what my uh, question is is for catastrophic cases. It seems to be a different group, a smaller group, mm -hmm. a more specific group of people that work on those types of cases. Is that your experience? And if so, tell it, me about that and why. It is. Um, many of the carriers, and I don't, I don't know if it's all of them, um, the, one, the one example I can give you, because they refer to themselves that way, is the Hartford has a catastrophic unit. And if you see a certain person's name on a case from them, you know they're taking it seriously and you know they're treating it as a catastrophic case. But most carriers, when I worked for a carrier all those years ago, we had 
all the catastrophic cases, they went up to home office and they got a lot of attention uh, and they were handled from there. So I think that a lot of the carriers do have that. And if they don't have a catastrophic division, the adjusters who are working on these types of cases are the more experienced people. They're the folks who have been there for 10, 15, 20 years, have been in the industry for maybe even longer than that. They understand the medical portion. They understand what it takes to get the case taken care of. And uh, they have that empathetic uh, attitude towards the injured person. The, to me, that, that manifests itself with them being, them recognizing, okay, this person is seriously injured and we need to take the steps, even if it costs money, we need to take the steps to make sure that, that this person it recovers as comprehensively as, as possible. Is that fair? Yes. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you that. Well, if that's the case, what do they need? What do they need us for? Like, what do they need a, 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 an, an attorney on their side if, if sometimes in these cases, uh, those clients, those those insurance companies, those mm -hmm. insurance adjusters are more reasonable, are more empathetic, are more understanding and willing to acknowledge the exposure that they face. Um, you know, it goes back to something is going to go wrong somewhere. Right, And if I've got a family member who's catastrophically injured, either in a wheelchair or, you know, whatever their situation may be, it's going to be hard enough caring for that person and taking care of all that everyday, day-to-day -day stuff that goes along with just living and not even adding that, per that catastrophic injury to the mix. So I would want somebody who does this every day, who understands the claims process, and who may have handled type situations just like this in the past, so that I can take care of my family member, help them get better or stable or whatever that's going to be, and let the experts deal with all that other stuff. because. With catastrophic injuries, there are things that happen that may not happen in a regular case. If somebody is sitting in a wheelchair, they may develop uh, infections that other people wouldn't. And, you know, that family member who is caring for them or helping to care for them may not be able to get to the insurance company to get this person back to the doctor. So I think that's where we our benefit to folks in general, but especially in a catastrophic case. Well, so the one thing that comes to my mind as you're describing that is I can think of catastrophic cases off the top of my head where the insurance adjusters, I did feel like were good people. Mm -hmm. I did feel like they were reasonable people. I did feel like they were had a genuine uh, concern for our client and our client's well-being. Mm -hmm. But I also recall in those same cases, as the case progressed, them starting to pull back services mm -hmm. based on the recommendations of professionals that they had hired that knew that knew that their job was to mitigate the damage, mitigate, reduce the mm -hmm. exposure. They might say, uh, you know, whereas historically we would provide you with this many of this particular medical device, and now we're going to reduce that to the half of that. Mm -hmm. We were historically going to provide you with round-the-clock care with two uh, 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 um, 
healthcare workers. We're going to try to reduce that to one, or we're going to try to reduce, reduce that to one with a, and, and these are kink, very reputable companies with very, and then we would have to go back and fight to make sure. Mm -hmm. Or another example would be, uh, think of, think about this. If we get, when we get to a mediation in even those c cases, they'll start with a low, low, low number. Mm -hmm. And then it's a, it requires, you know, advocacy and argument and documentation and evidence and, and legal theories and advocacy and, and well, and, and just effort and hard work and determination in order to negotiate that to a reasonable number. And then I think the other piece of it is is knowing what is reasonable and what's not a reasonable mm -hmm. under the circumstances because you get so many people from the other side of these kinds of cases who might say, well, our policy is to do this. And the advantage is, is we can have our lawyers go in and go, well, regardless of your policy, this is the law and this is what you're required to do and right. this is what the IC is going to hold you accountable for. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, in a mediation, we always expect um, it to be a battle. I mean, right? There's really, if there wasn't something that was in conflict, we probably wouldn't be there. Wouldn't have jobs, right? Right. That's, that's right. Um, and, you know, even in a voluntary mediation, there's going to be some sort of disagreement on the value of the case, right? And it's not a science. It's really, it's, there's an art to it, um, and it's just a matter of getting, trying to get these two people to agree on something or these two sides to agree on something. But, you know, in a catastrophic case, we mediated one, you know, that we felt was worth in the seven-figure range and, and, you know, the defense attorney who is a, what is a good defense attorney uh, and takes a hard line with everything, started off very low, like, you know, under six figures. But we persevered. We took a really, really long time. We were able to um, make our client understand the process so that we ultimately got the result that we were really hoping for. So. Well, and so that's part of it. Is, it, is, is that right? Is to, uh, is, to, is to understand that this can be a process. And sometimes those cases don't resolve in one mediation or two that's mediations. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there might be uh, three mediations or more in order yeah. to try, or, or, or maybe it resolves after mediation through informal settlement discussions. Mm -hmm. And I think patience is critical. And I think patience only works when you have a, uh, a good and solid trusting relationship with the people who provide your representation. Is that fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what are the things, what are the, what are the hallmarks of that type of relationship? In other words, what, you've been in this business for a long time. What would you look for if somebody's catastrophically injured? What would you look for in the legal team and from the legal professionals that you're, you would hire? And I imagine it would have to be a team in a catastrophic case. Is that fair? Everybody's going to have to work on the file. Yeah. From I top mean, to bottom. I mean, these catastrophic cases, I mean, just, in a, just pick a recent catastrophic case in your mind. Mm -hmm. How many people would work on that file on, in a course of the life of that file, would you say? Um, probably five or six or more, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, and, and if it's a, if it's a, you know, if it's one that I'm thinking of and that's, that might be from the work comp side, from the liability side, it might be another 10 or 12, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Let me ask you, so back to my original or my most recent question, uh, so what would somebody look for in a team that might represent them in a catastrophic case from a workers' compensation perspective? Well, you know, people with catastrophic injuries, right, are, um, their families are not the one, they're the ones who are going to hire us, hopefully, or know of us by reputation, right? They may have seen a commercial, they may have heard a radio commercial, but they're gonna go hopefully with the folks that they have heard really good things about and whose name stands out to them, right? And hopefully give us a chance to get in front of them to show them what we can do. And I think that we do a good job, especially in these catastrophic cases because we get the team, whoever that may be, working on these cases right from the very beginning. So it seems to me that when you describe the, the way that uh, insurance companies approach it, they take their most experienced people, the people that have been doing it the longest, mm -hmm. they take their, uh, they give it specific attention, they have, a, they have a specific group of people that focus on these kinds of cases, the way that they focus on these cases. It seems like it's probably important to have that same uh, experienced team and that same credible team, that mm -hmm. same reasonable team, that same, uh, uh, you know, from the plaintiff's perspective. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think, I think we have that. Well, let me ask you this. You, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small group of people. Do we tend to run into the same, in your opinion, do we tend to run into the same uh, insurance adjusters and firms and lawyers over time in these bigger cases? Um, yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, you, you, you tend to recognize names and you can develop some sort of relationship with these folks. Um, and same goes for the defense attorneys. I mean, it, there's, you know, a lot of defense attorneys, but when it comes to a catastrophic case, the folks who have been practicing for 30 or 40 there's years. There's a handful of people. Right. They're the ones who are going to handle those cases not the guys who are just out of school. And is it helpful to have relationships and histories with those kinds of people? Absolutely. And I do my best to establish relationships with the adjusters and with the defense attorneys because there's going to be something that's going to come up where you're going to have an adversarial relationship. But, you know, if you're friends with somebody, you can get through that little adversarial part and you can move on to the next one and no hard feelings and you move on. It seems like so. It seems like to me that when the in these kinds of situations, if you have pros on both sides, people that do it, people that are that are credible, people that are honorable, people that do what they say they're going to do, mm -hmm. that we can fight like, you know, mm -hmm. there's no tomorrow about right. a certain issue, right. and then move on with our lives and continue our professional. So long as we've behaved professionally in the process, is that right. your observation? Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things that I see a lot of times, and maybe you've seen this before, is um, you see, a lot, and this came up in our conversation with our in our litigation conversations and in regular uh, third-party liability mm -hmm. tort conversations. But you see all these lawyers and, and these ads and all, and, you know, and, and we all talk about how oh, we're so aggressive and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And you know, my observation is. Um, unwarranted aggression and hostility and a combative attitude can actually be destructive, destructive mm -hmm. in this context. How do you feel about that? 
I agree. And, you know, there are attorneys on both sides and adjusters who just make things difficult because they can or they want to. And it just hurts the whole process. It's unnecessary. Right? And I don't, I don't take that approach. You know, I want them to think that, I want the insurance companies and the defense attorneys to think that, hey, we're getting a case from Speaks Law, these guys are straight up, and we know that they're not gonna you know, do anything that's not on the up and up, and that they really must have somebody who's hurt, so let's do the right thing. And that just comes from experience. I think that's right. I think, I think that, you know, maybe earlier in my career, you know, every single case, I was gonna fight somebody. Mm -hmm. And then now that I've been doing this longer, I feel like I have, uh, I have a much better perspective and I'm able to, uh, you know, recognize that I'm going to see these same people again and again and mm -hmm. again. And it's going to be important that I have a, you know, that I behave professionally and that we mm -hmm. conduct ourselves and our team in a professional way. Even sometimes when the other side is not, that that's it. We can, that doesn't mean that we're weak by the, by, and it doesn't mean that we're going to take something lying down. It just means right. that we're going to, we're going to be professional no matter what the circumstances are. And that credibility again is the cornerstone of advocacy. And by, and by behaving in that way and being professional, then that's the way that we can maximize the recovery in our client's case. Right. Okay. I agree. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate You're it very, very much. You're very welcome. Thank you again for having me. Thank you.